welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud preemie mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing, and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different, and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's physician for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge. My opinions do not represent that of my employers. Although we may not always think of it, our skin is an incredibly important multifunctional organ. It has many different functions, including helping us maintain our body temperature, it assists with the excretion of water and toxins, and most importantly, its ability to act as a protective barrier. But as adults with mature skin, we are likely to forget how much our skin protects us other than when we experience a scratch or perhaps an abrasion. In newborns, though, especially preterm infants, there are developmental differences in the anatomy and physiology of their skin that place them at an increased risk for skin injury. Not only is the immaturity of an infant's skin problematic, but infants in the NICU are predisposed to skin trauma due to all of the life-saving monitors and equipment necessary for their care. Furthermore, infants with compromised skin integrity are at an increased risk for infection, excess water loss, absorption of toxic substances, and additional sequelae. Today, I review the basic anatomy of our skin and all of its important functions. I point out how the skin of a term, and especially preterm infant, differs from adults, and why the structural variations place infants at an increased risk for skin trauma and additional complications. We discuss the potential short and long-term sequelae for infants including scarring and functional abnormalities and why this topic hits so close to home for me. This episode is a simple and great listen for parents, especially if your baby is in the NICU. For parents or NICU clinicians, it reminds us of the fragility of a premature infant skin, which will prep us for our next episode, where we will review recommended preventive measures to promote optimal skin integrity for our little ones. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by Neotech. As you'll hear in this episode, neonates, especially preterm infants, are vulnerable to skin injuries. It is essential that products that are used on their fragile skin promote skin integrity. Keeping this in mind, Neotech has developed a series of NICU products designed to be gentle on fragile skin. Neotech's Neobond is a skin-friendly hydrocolloid. It is a protective adhesive that sustains long-term attachment while also considering the risk of damage to fragile skin. 
The Neobond hydrocolloid is featured on the easy hold nasal cannula holders, the Neo bridge that secures umbilical catheters, the Neo lead ECG electrodes, and more. When applied and removed properly, the Neobond hydrocolloid is a long-lasting neonatal adhesive that minimizes skin damage, minimizing the need for traditional tape, which can be more damaging. Plus, the long-lasting nature of the hydrocolloid means you do not have to change it or remove it as often. The NICU, where my son William was cared for and where I practiced as an NNP, used many of Neotech's Neobond hydrocolloid products. As you will learn in this episode, extremely premature infants, like William was, are much more prone to significant skin breakdown. And although William did have some areas of pretty severe breakdown, he never experienced any irritation or skin injuries where his Neotech ECG leads were or on his sweet face where the easy hold held his cannula in place for several months. Neotech also offers Neofoam patented products designed to not only be gentle on an infant's skin, but they also reduce skin breakdown and or irritation. Neofoam is lightweight, flexible, and form-fitting, and it is featured in several products, including the Easy Care Soft Touch Trach Ties, the Neotech Chin Strap for respiratory support, and Neoshades, the phototherapy eye shields. Skin-friendly Neofoam was developed and is manufactured in the United States, and its durable, breathable material wicks perspiration. Neofoam is so unique, you have to feel it to believe it. Visit neotechneoshades.com to request your free sample or find the link in our show notes. NICU moms are a unique group of strong, brave, and proud women. It is not necessarily a group that you would choose to join, but once you are a part of it, you become part of a special tribe. To honor and celebrate all of the strong NICU mamas within the NICU community, we created NICU Mama hats. Our trucker baseball hats are multicolored and adorable. Show your pride for your brave little one and celebrate your personal strength as a NICU Mama with these adorable hats. Or consider purchasing one as a gift for that strong NICU mom you know and adore. Our hats are adjustable, so one size fits all. We ship for free in the United States Plus, a portion of the proceeds from each hat sale go into our foundation to help and support current NICU families. Grab your hat now at EmpoweringNICUParents.com forward slash hats. That's EmpoweringNICUParents.com forward slash H-A-T-S. Or find the link in our show notes. Now back to the episode. Our skin is actually our largest human organ and has protective, regulatory, and sensory functions. An infant's skin makes up at least 13% of their body weight, whereas it is only about 3% of an adult's body weight. Just as I mentioned, our skin's purpose is multifactorial with functions that include thermoregulation, it provides a barrier against toxins, assists with water and electrolyte excretions, It provides fat storage and insulation and tactile sensation. With thermoregulation, it helps us to regulate our temperature by the use of vasoconstriction when we are cold 
and vasodilation when we are warm. Additionally, our adipose tissue stores fat just below the skin and acts as an insulator. Our skin also works as a barrier and protects us against excessive water loss from physical and chemical injury and against pathogens. It also helps us to excrete water, salts, and urea or nitrogenous waste. And it has a sensory function, so with temperature, pressure, and or pain, our receptors send signals to the brain when stimulated. And it also assists with the synthesis of vitamin D once it is exposed to sunlight. So we will review how a newborn skin is different from that of an adult, but also how a preterm infant's skin structure and development make them more prone to skin trauma, excessive water loss, infections, increased permeability, and absorption, resulting in potential toxicity. Unfortunately, bearing all of that in mind, premature infants are also in the NICU, where the environment presents several additional challenges in maintaining skin integrity. Practices that are routine in the NICU are prone to disrupt the skin, Therefore, the protective barrier that our infants so desperately need. Once the barrier is disrupted or the skin integrity is compromised, it predisposes term and preterm infants to skin injury as well as an entry for pathogens to enter. I'm not going to dive too deep into anatomy of our skin, but I will briefly describe it so this all makes a little more sense to you. The two main layers of the skin are the epidermis and the dermis. The epidermis is the outermost layer that provides us with protection against injury. The epidermis is composed primarily of keratinocytes, which mature to form the stratum corneum, the non-living layer of the epidermis, and then there is the basal layer. The stratum corneum is formed with lipids and proteins in a brick-and-mortar type of configuration. The epidermis is the first line of protection from infection and environmental toxins, The epidermis also helps to retain heat and fluid. The structural development of the epidermis has generally occurred by 24 weeks in utero, but the maturation of it is not complete until after birth, and even then it is not fully complete until infants have spent two to four weeks exposed to the extrauterine environment. The second layer, or the dermis, is composed of collagen and elastin fibers. It is two to four millimeters thick, and it provides elasticity and connects the dermis to the epidermis. It also contains blood vessels, nerves, sweat glands, and hair follicles. Within the dermis is the subcutaneous layer that contains sebaceous glands and sweat glands. Sweat glands become more mature in the term infants during the first week of life, but in premature infants, The maturation does not occur until approximately 21 to 33 days of life or even longer. The subcutaneous layer is composed of fatty connective tissue that helps to provide heat insulation, protection, and calorie storage. Fat deposition occurs primarily in the third trimester of pregnancy. So as we know, preterm infants miss out on a large portion of the fat deposition, putting them at an increased risk for cold stress. Infants are also covered with vernix caseosa up until around 38 weeks gestation. It is the white, cheesy substance composed of water, lipids, proteins, sebum from sebaceous glands, broken off lanugo, the fine hair on infants, 
and desquamous cells from the amnion or the innermost layer of the placenta. The vernix protects the fetus and provides a moisture barrier. Just as it is with their other organs, and as I just alluded to, a premature infant's skin is also immature. Special consideration must be paid for very low birth weight infants, including the risk of chemical and adhesive-related skin breakdown, the potential for allergen sensitization, and also absorption of potential toxins. Premature infants have significantly fewer layers of stratum corneum than term infants and adults. The stratum corneum begins to form at 21 weeks gestation. Infants born around 28 weeks are thought to have two to three layers of stratum corneum and up to 15 layers by 32 weeks, almost equivalent to an adult and term infant who have near 20 layers. But in the extremely premature infants, those born less than 24 weeks gestation, they are just beginning to develop their stratum corneum. The overall epidermis or outer layer of the skin is 20 to 30% smaller in premature infants. Therefore, a premature infant's skin is thinner and may appear transparent, translucent, and at times gelatinous. Due to the underdeveloped stratum corneum, their skin also often appears ruddy or a reddish color. Although, in preterm infants, the maturation of the stratum corneum is accelerated following their birth. By 10 to 14 days post-delivery, they have improved barrier function and skin integrity. The infant's transition from the intrauterine environment to the external environment is what has been thought to accelerate the maturation of their stratum corneum in the first 10 to 14 days. Although some believe it is even slower process in preterm infants born less than 27 weeks. With that being said, the maturation process may take as long as eight weeks in infants born at 23 weeks, placing them at an increased risk for many comorbidities, including infection, excessive water losses, electrolyte imbalances, skin tears, plus more due to their lack of a protective barrier for an extended period of time. As I mentioned, the stratum corneum protects against toxins and infections, including bacteria and viruses, leaving all premature infants, but especially those born extremely premature with minimal protection. Without the full effects of protection from the stratum corneum, Premature infants are more vulnerable to infections transmitted through their skin. In the late neonatal period, about 50% of all deaths are related to sepsis or other severe infections. And an incompetent or compromised skin barrier is considered a major predisposing factor for neonatal sepsis. Now, not only is the stratum corneum thinner in premature infants, but the structure of their dermis is also different, which is what makes their skin more susceptible to skin injury and trauma. The collagen and elastin fibers in the dermis help provide mechanical strength, protection, and elasticity. In premature infants, there is less collagen, creating less cohesion between the epidermis and dermis when compared to term infants. Collagen is composed of fibrils, anchoring filaments, and in premature infants, they are smaller, there are fewer of the anchoring structures, and they are more widely spaced. 
but luckily they do become stronger with advancing gestational age. It is the diminished cohesion between the dermis and epidermis that places premature infants at an increased risk for injury with the removal of adhesives, especially if strong adhesives are used. If there is a stronger bond of the adhesive on their skin or attached to the epidermis, then the bond between the epidermis and dermis, it can result in epidermal stripping or stripping of the skin. If care is not taken with the removal of adhesives from a premature infant skin, skin tears and abrasions can easily occur, leaving the infant's skin even more exposed and unprotected from pathogens and therefore increasing their risk for infection. Medical adhesive-related skin injuries, or MARSIs, include contact dermatitis, moisture maceration, and also mechanical skin injuries that occur when the epidermis is separated from the dermis. Mechanical injuries include tension blisters, skin tears, and denudement caused by epidermal stripping. Epidermal stripping is the most common type of MARSI in the NICU. Skin trauma can lead to serious consequences for infants in the NICU, including problems with thermal regulation, fluid and electrolyte balance, diversion of calories for tissue repair, discomfort, potential toxicity from absorbed substances, and increased risk for infection. Skin injuries and trauma can also cause permanent scarring and functional abnormalities. The pH of our skin also plays a role in the protection against pathogens and microorganisms. With pH, the range is from 0 to 14. The more acidic the solution, the smaller the number, and the more alkaline or basic, the larger the number. In adults and children, the acidic pH of the skin, which is usually less than 5, helps to protect the growth of pathogenic microorganisms. Term newborns are born with a more alkaline or basic skin surface around 6.34, which naturally declines to an average of 4.95 around four days of life. With premature infants, their pH is typically above six and it gradually declines down to five, but it often takes weeks or even up to a month to do so, which also places them at an increased risk for infection throughout this long time frame. The slightly acidic pH of the skin also plays an important role in the maturation and maintenance of the stratum corneum. I briefly mentioned the vernix before, or the protective coating on the skin in infants that begins to develop around 19 to 20 weeks and continues to thicken until 34 weeks, gradually disappearing around 38 weeks. The retention of the vernix on an infant's skin contributes to a higher skin hydration, a lower skin pH, and relates to reduced heat loss after birth. For preterm infants, The lack of vernix, coupled with their immature epidermal layers and minimal development of fat deposition, places them at an increased risk for cold stress as well. Preterm infants are also at an increased risk for transepidermal losses or excess water losses, mostly due to evaporation. At birth, they exit a warm and moist environment and are thrust into a cold and dry one, which contributes to their water and heat loss due to evaporation. 
and infants, but especially premature infants, they have an increased body surface to body mass ratio, which makes them more prone to cold stress and water losses, especially in the first couple of weeks. Additionally, once an adhesive is removed from an infant's skin, transepidermal water loss is higher at that site of the adhesive application compared to other sites due to their damaged skin barrier. The stratum corneum, which is much thinner in premature infants, is responsible for controlling evaporative heat loss and water loss. With time, the stratum corneum matures and becomes less permeable for water. But even at four weeks of age, a premature infant may still experience double the water loss than that of a term infant, placing them at risk for electrolyte imbalances, including elevated sodium levels and dehydration. Extremely premature infants delivered around 23 to 25 weeks have significant water losses, as much as 10 times higher than term infants. Although many aspects of the term and preterm infant skin are immature, the sensory nerve endings are not. By 20 weeks, a fetus can respond behaviorally, physiologically, and hormonally to touch and pain. The sensory nerve endings are well-developed in the newborn regardless of maturity, meaning they can feel positive nurturing touch as well as painful touch and procedures. Now, not only does the physical immaturity of a premature infant's skin place them at risk, but these infants are also being cared for in the neonatal intensive care unit. The combination of immaturity coupled with the need for intensive care monitoring and procedures places the premature infant at an increased risk for skin trauma and a loss of skin integrity. Routine care practices, including bathing, application of the monitoring devices, IV insertion, removal of adhesives to secure devices, and exposure to potentially toxic substances can all disrupt the infant's skin integrity or barrier, predisposing both term and preterm infants to skin injury. Risk factors for skin injuries in neonates include low birth weight, younger gestational age, extended length of stay, the presence of a central venous line, mechanical ventilation, and CPAP. These infants are at risk for developing pressure ulcers due to their dependence of life-sustaining medical devices. Pressure ulcers are commonly found on the head, nose, chin, and neck. Additionally, infants in the NICU are exposed to many skin disinfectants that may cause skin injury and or be inadvertently absorbed. Neonatal skin in general has distinctive absorption characteristics with high permeability to topical agents. With the stratum corneum having decreased layers and less protection, toxicity may occur from substances that are applied to the skin. Topically applied agents that are absorbed can cause systemic toxic effects, including neurotoxicity, structural damage, and even death. There is a decrease in skin permeability with age and near-term and term infants are not as prone to experiencing drug absorption through the skin. Skin disinfectants must be used prior to invasive procedures in the NICU from starting an IV to a lab draw, insertion of a PIC line, or placement of an umbilical line or chest tube. 
And although the use of disinfectants is crucial in infection prevention, with some of the products used, like chlorhexidine gluconate, there have not been enough studies in neonates to determine its use over other disinfectants like povidone iodine in the prevention of bloodstream infections. Chlorhexidine is known to be superior for skin disinfecting in children and adults, but as I said, there is limited safety data for it with infants. Therefore, the CDC guidelines have said that because there is insufficient evidence to make proper recommendations on the safety and efficacy of chlorhexidine in infants younger than two months of age, but it is still commonly used on infants in the hospital. There's also concern for toxicity from absorption of disinfectants, including povidone iodine, which is shown to alter thyroid function in premature infants. With isopropyl alcohol, repeated use has been shown to induce systemic intoxication by skin absorption and may cause severe hemorrhagic skin necrosis in premature infants. Additionally, studies have shown that when chlorhexidine has been used, it is absorbed with serum peak levels at two to three days after exposure, but there were not any systemic side effects noted. Unfortunately, there have also been numerous cases of reports documenting chemical burns in premature infants from disinfectants containing chlorhexidine, as well as isopropyl alcohol and povidone iodine in extremely low birth weight infants. Typically, most of the burns occurred in infants less than 26 weeks gestation or those who weigh less than 1,000 grams. Some of the cases have resulted in long-term sequelae in some infants, including scarring, discoloration, and keloid formation. If the basal layer which generates the epidermis is disrupted and or damaged, healing will take place by scar formation. Sadly, I can personally speak to the significant scarring that can occur from the monitoring devices as well as with burns from topical agents. My son William, who was a 23-weeker, has several scattered scars throughout his body from the Pulsex probe and even the temperature probe. But his most significant scar that is still incredibly prominent is the one on his abdomen just adjacent to his umbilicus. He did have a UVC and a UAC placed shortly after his delivery at the outlying hospital. Now, because I wasn't present, I'm unsure what disinfectant they used to cleanse his umbilical cord prior to inserting the lines, or if they wiped it with saline as recommended. But by his fifth day of life, he had significant breakdown near his umbilicus. I can only assume it is from the disinfectant. He also had significant breakdown under both of his axillas bilaterally. Honestly, I'm unsure why he had such a significant amount of breakdown under both of his axillas that also goes all the way down to his elbow area. It could have been due to the pick line attempts, but either way, it also developed around his fifth day of life. We had a nurse on nights that made it her mission to find the right treatment combination to try and improve his breakdown. For a while, he looked like a little mummy because he had his little tiny arms wrapped up in gauze as we tried anything and everything we could to get the area to heal. But despite her unending passion and all of her attempts, plus many others, nothing seemed to help his significant skin breakdown. I was so worried since it was not improving and knew that it was an open source for infection. 
but also as his mother trying to contain and comfort him during his care time was so difficult to witness. He was intubated, so he couldn't cry, but his sweet face was all scrunched up and showed us just how painful it was for him as he winced and tried to cry around his endotracheal tube. Eventually, I requested a wound consult because absolutely nothing was working to heal the area. They came and assessed him and found a product that worked really well, and slowly with time, all of the areas healed. But William still to this day, eight years later, has a significant scar on his abdomen and scattered scars up and down his arms. We talk with him about his scars from his skin breakdown during his NICU journey, and now it's just all part of his story. He went through so much more, and we are beyond thankful that he has minimal sequelae and complications after being born so prematurely. Because they are just scars, and they do not seem to bother him at this point in his life. And although it was not the most severe or significant part of his NICU journey, it was very difficult and scary to go through at the time. Now, unfortunately, the incidence for diaper dermatitis or diaper rash is also common in NICUs, with reports of it occurring in 21 to 25 percent of NICU patients. Diaper dermatitis describes inflamed skin that involves the lower abdomen, buttocks, and perianal and perineal areas. Some signs of diaper dermatitis include erythema or redness, excoriations, denuded skin, and bleeding. With a diaper rash, the area becomes broken down, leaving an exposed area as a potential entrance for skin and systemic infection. The causes are multifactorial, but the condition of the skin has a direct role on the progression of the skin injury. The underdeveloped stratum corneum, as well as the moisture from the urine and digestive enzymes from the alkalinized stool, can also irritate the vulnerable, thin layer of skin. Skin that is moist and macerated becomes more permeable and susceptible to injury due to the wetness increasing friction. Moisture-laden skin is also more likely to contain microorganisms than dry skin. Additionally, if you recall the section on the pH of the skin, an increased pH, as with diapered and soiled skin, increases the risk of injury and penetration of organisms. All of that in combination with attempts to remove the irritants using preservative-containing wipes sets the infant up for skin breakdown. Additionally, NICU infants may also have received antibiotics and additional fortification in their milk, which also predisposes them to altered gut flora. Infants who were also exposed in utero to illicit drug use by the mother are at risk due to frequent stools and an increased risk of irritation. I hope this episode helped to break down not only the anatomy and functionality of our skin, but also how it is structurally different in term and preterm infants. I realize that this is not the most interesting topic, but for me as a parent of a premature infant, especially one who had significant skin breakdown, I think it's important for parents and clinicians to understand or be reminded of the fragility of an infant's skin, especially those born extremely premature. As you just heard, There are several developmental differences in the anatomy and physiology for term and preterm infants that place them at an increased risk for skin injury, especially if they are in the NICU. 
But you're probably wondering, either as a parent or a clinician, what are the best ways to prevent skin breakdown? Well, we will cover that next time. And yes, prevention should be the primary focus when it comes to maintaining an infant's skin integrity. We will also discuss basic skincare recommendations and treatments for both term and preterm infants. So please make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you do not miss another episode. For show notes, the links mentioned in the episode, and to request your free sample of Neotech products, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 34. Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear. So make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.